Turn your Bibles. Our text today is in Mark chapter 7. We will get there. But I would like to begin today in Matthew chapter 15. So if you're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading at verse 21, then we'll make our way back to Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. So there it is, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And then Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, it says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and went in, I'm sorry, and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter, and when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying on the bed. And Father, we pray, as we always do, that you would now give us insight and understanding on this account, this Syrophoenician woman and her great need. And so, Lord, teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. You know, guys, the scripture, you know, it's given to us for a reason, obviously. Um, If you have not the Holy Spirit, you say, well, what does that mean? If you have not been born again, you have not the Holy Spirit. If you have not the Holy Spirit, the Bible is dull. It's boring. You read it, you get nothing out of it. It doesn't speak to you because it can't speak to you. Now, I'm not speaking, you know, from my own opinion, but I'm speaking according to what the scriptures teach. The word of God is spiritually discerned. You need the spirit of God to understand the word of God. But if you have the spirit of God, because you're born again, because you've placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then the things that are recorded from Genesis to Revelation, everything in between, 
is recorded for your benefit as a, as a child of God, as a, as a man, woman, young person of faith. It's to build your faith. So you read these things, you study these things, and it builds your faith. Today, you look at the account. You have a mother. Um, she has a daughter that has a need. She comes to Jesus. She brings her request to Jesus. She leaves. Her request is, um, you know, granted by the Lord. And you look at that and you say, okay, I get it. Life application. If you have needs, bring them to Jesus. Well, yes, that's, that's true. But there's so much more that we can glean from this woman. First of all, we're told that, that this was in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, if you were looking at a map in your Bible, if you have maps in your Bible, you'll see that Tyre and Sidon is modern-day Lebanon. So it's the coastland of Lebanon. And it's interesting to note that this is the furthest location recorded in the Bible where Jesus ministered is Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile territories, and so we shouldn't be surprised by seeing that this woman, she was from Canaan. She was a Syrophoenician. In other words, she was a Syrian from from Phoenicia. She was a Gentile. So we see in our account, both the accounts that we have, Matthew and and, and Mark's account, that she hears about Jesus. So this is what prompts the whole thing. She hears about Jesus. She has a need. She has a daughter who has a great need, and the need is is that she is severely demon-possessed. Think of that, how that might have looked, what that might have been like, severely demon-possessed. She was severely demon-possessed, and so she is in need. She hears about Jesus, and so now she's on the hunt to find Jesus. Jesus, we're told in Mark's gospel, he has withdrew himself from the multitudes. Of course, everywhere Jesus went, there were multitudes of people, so he, he, he kind of pulls away from the multitude. He enters the house. He doesn't want anyone to know that he entered that house, because if people know that he entered that house, then they're just going to flock around the house, and he won't get any rest. So he wanted to be there alone with his disciples, most likely, because I'm sure that they were with him. They were with him in the last text that we looked at in Mark's gospel account, and so surely they were with him here in this account. I love what it says, though, in verse 24 of Mark. It says, but he could not be hidden. This is a time where he wanted to be hidden, but he could not be hidden. (laughs) Um, I uh, was watching this documentary yesterday. I'm, I'm not endorsing it, saying you should watch it, but it was interesting. It's something that I'd never heard about, even though I grew up at that time. And it was a documentary about a hippie millionaire who ended up not really being a millionaire. But uh, he, uh, back in 1970, and and he was going to give away money. And the whole reason he was going to give away money is that he wanted to kind of uh, have this environment of love. And if he's going to give away all his money, and of course the money kept growing from, you know, uh, $5 million to $500 million to a few billion, and then eventually it was a trillion, you know. And, and so he was just this drug-crazed hippie, and he and his wife that he had met 
you know, just really weeks beforehand, was going around giving money to people in need. Well, the whole reason they put this documentary together is because they found tens of thousands of letters that were written to him that were never opened, you know. And, of course, as time went on, a lot of people that, who did receive checks from him uh, went to cash the checks, and the checks weren't, uh, you know, there was no money in the account type of thing. You say, well, why do you bring that up? Well, it just took me back as I was listening to these different people that were researching this whole thing, and they're reading the letters to see how many people were, at that time, 1970, in need. I mean, sad story after sad story after sad story after sad story, and it was just depressing. And, and I, I thought, boy, you know, they need Jesus. Um, they needed Jesus back then. They need Jesus today. Jesus is the answer. But it just reminded me, you know, some of the folks were sharing about physical problems, serious physical problems that a loved one had, and so they needed money to get further uh, treatment or to pay for the treatment that they had already uh, gotten. And it was just kind of a sad documentary. I was thinking about that today because I knew what I was going to be teaching on today. And I think of this woman, she's a Gentile, She's a Gentile. She comes to Jesus only because she hears about Jesus. She comes to Jesus. She's a Gentile. And when she comes to Jesus, according to Matthew's account, she uses a messianic title. That means a a title reserved for the Messiah. It's a Messiah title. She calls Jesus son of David. And that's a messianic title. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David, that David would have a son that would sit upon the throne, that David would have a son that would build the house of God. You say, no, you got that wrong, Dan. That's Solomon. No, 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 you've got that wrong. That's Jesus. Solomon built the, 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 the stone, the, the rock house, the temple of God, as glorious as it was. And that was, if you will, the near fulfillment to the prophecy But the far fulfillment to the prophecy is that Jesus would build a house uh, not made of hands, you know, the house of God. And of course, we're all part of that house, aren't we, if you've placed your faith in Jesus. So she comes to Jesus. She's a Gentile. She comes to Jesus, and she uses a messianic title to call out to Jesus, O Lord, Son of David. Now, You wonder why? Why would she use that term? Did she believe that he was the Messiah? I don't know if she believed that he was the Messiah. I mean, how much did she really know about Jesus? Mark tells us that when she had heard about him. So did she hear about him months earlier and she's been in search for him? Or did she just hear about him and then find happen to find the location where he's staying? I don't know. Did she use the terminology because she thought she had to use the terminology in order to get his attention? Do you know where I'm going with this? You know, there are people who have no interest in religion or faith or, you know, a Bible or worship or prayer or anything like that until things go sideways. And then all of a sudden, oh God, please help me. Help me. Oh, Heavenly Father. You know, and they could have all the terminology and everything else, and I'm going to do all of this because this is how you approach God. And of course, 
That's not how you approach God. Well, her need, her need was my daughter is severely demon-possessed. And we're told that she was persistent. We see that in Mark chapter 7 and verse 26. We don't see the word persistent, but we read she kept asking him. So that indicates that she was persistent. She was persistent. When she heard about Jesus, she found the house where Jesus was staying. When she found the house where Jesus was staying, she went into the house. Think of that. Could you imagine a stranger walking into your house? Or even the courtyard of your house at that time in that culture? Walks right into the courtyard of your house? Do you think you'd be tempted to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you doing here? I don't know you. Get out of my house. She didn't care. She was persistent. She found the place where he was staying. When she found the place he was staying, she went in. And then she fell down at his feet. She falls down at his feet and she asked him for help. She asked him for help, but then she goes on to keep asking him for help. What does that sound like? Please help me. Please help me. I have a need. Please, please. No, I'm not going anywhere. You need to help me. I have no one to turn to. She kept asking him. She was persistent. She was persistent because she was desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. The Lord wants us to be persistent in prayer. Um, on Wednesday night, First John, we looked at two verses, the last chapter of First John, and um, talking about prayer. And I think I had mentioned during the study that, that prayer is not throwing up wishes to God. You know, maybe he'll catch one of our wishes and, and grant our wish, you know. But, but according to John, First John, uh, John's epistle and, and John's gospel and the words of Jesus, of course, that we can have anything, everything, anything we ask for in his name if <laughs> we ask according to his will. If we're abiding in Christ. See, there's conditions upon it. Because the person who's abiding in Christ and the words of God are abiding in them, they're not going to ask for selfish things. They're going to ask for Christ-honoring things. And so if we're asking for Christ-honoring things, then our desires, the things that we ask for, are ours. We have the confidence that if we ask, he hears, and if he hears, then he will give us the things that we ask for. And so Jesus tells us to be persistent in prayer. Remember the, the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. We have a number of examples of that and pictures of that, what it looks like. So just ask once. People say, well, I asked for that once or twice or three times. I don't know. I can't keep track, you know. It hasn't been much, but I'm done. Why are you done? Well, he didn't give me what I wanted or what I needed. And so I've moved on. I'll tell you, when you move on like that, usually you move on to despair. You don't move on to hope. She was persistent because she was desperate, and desperate people do desperate things. And I... <laughs> I look at this woman and I think to myself, oh, how we need to be desperate. How we need to be desperate. When the sun is shining and everything is going well and there's money in the account and gasoline in the tank and, and the, you know, the job is regular and you know, there's no uh, concern about it ending anytime soon and and everyone's healthy, and oh, thank you, Lord, you know, 
Thank you, Lord. I'm not saying we don't mean it, but it just so easily comes off of our lips and we don't really give it much thought, you know. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But when just the opposite of all of those things, you know, the gas tank is empty and there is no money in the bank and it doesn't matter if you have plastic because there's no money to back up the plastic. And, you know, the situation is so bleak and, and dire that, that you, you are desperate. You have no one else to turn to but the Lord. You're desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. And I'm not meaning that in a negative thing. I mean, you're not going to go out and rob a bank or something, but you're going to do the right thing. Matthew tells us that she kept asking, but Matthew also, also tells us that he answered her not a word. So she keeps asking. Please help me, please help me, please help me. And he doesn't answer her a word. And you look at this and <laughs> you got to ask, Lord, why are, you, why are you being so rude? That's rude, Lord. This woman, she has a need, and how could you just ignore her like that? How rude, Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute, Dan, you're reading into the text. Oh, I, I am. I'm doing it on purpose. But don't we all do that? See, there's this, this vain imagination, you know, this is the Jesus of my imagination. He's tolerant. Judgment? Oh, no, not my Jesus. Never would there be judgment from my Lord. He's gentle. He's got a, a little lamb on his shoulders all the time and He's just always there to pick up the downtrodden. And immediately he races to answer the prayers that are prayed to him. See, guys, I was telling the uh, ministry people this morning, I had asked if anyone went to the parade yesterday. We didn't go to the parade. Uh, but we did come into town. Tracy and I came into town afterwards. Tracy had to pick up something on on uh, Pioneer, and so she went into the store, and I was waiting outside. That's usually how it goes, you know. She goes in, I wait outside, and I was sitting there on one of those benches, and I was watching people walk by on Pioneer, and I noticed that there were a lot of gay pride uh, flags, and so I asked someone that went to the parade, I said, well, were they kind of endorsing that and promoting that at the thing? And some of the people told me, well, there was a booth, and there was this and that, and people were handing it. And I said, well, yeah, I, I saw quite a few. And they were all, all young people that were holding these flags, young people. And as some of the young people would walk by, you know, they would, uh, girl with girl holding hands and guy with guy holding hands. And, and I was sitting there and I was just kind of watching this go by me. I mean, this is, this is Pioneer, Oak Harbor. This isn't like, uh, you know, busy street. These are very few people. But I'm noticing in the very few people that are walking by that there seems to be a pattern. And I began to talk to the Lord. And I said, Lord... It appears that they're winning. They keep cramming this garbage down the throats of our children. And uh, we even send our children to school. You know, and say, no, don't listen to that garbage. And they go, okay, mommy, okay, daddy. As it's going down the gullet, you know, in more ways than one. And they're being programmed to believe, to think a certain way about sexuality. And as I was watching these young people, and I was thinking one day... 
Preferably, they come to faith in Christ, and then their thinking will be straightened out. One day, maybe some of them will just grow up, and they'll mature and realize, why did I even get involved in something like that? How strange. That's not who I was. It was a fad. It was something I was doing because others were doing it. And you know how kids are. I mean, you know, I was always a, you know, I, I always wanted to see myself as like a trailblazer, you know. My, my parents would say, Danny, if you grow your hair long, you'll do this, that, and the other. And I said, no, I won't. I'll be my own man. And I grew my hair long, and I became like a hippie guy, and I was doing all the other things that all the other people were doing. You just kind of meld in, you know. You kind of become like the people you're hanging with. You just have a tendency to do that. But I was thinking as I was watching these young people, I was thinking of the words of Jesus who said, if anyone causes one of these little ones of mine, now what did he mean? Little ones, little saved ones? Or was it little ones in general? Remember the context is that parents were bringing their children to Jesus to be, uh, not baptized, to be blessed, that he might bless them. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones of mine, it seems like he's just talking about children in general, to stumble, it would be better if a millstone was tied around his neck and he was cast into the sea. That would be the better. Because what's coming to them is so severe. People say, not my Jesus. I don't know what Jesus you're following. The Jesus of the Bible takes these things very seriously. He doesn't wink at them. You might wink at them. But that's to your own downfall. Jesus. Why do you have to be so rude? I don't think Jesus was being rude. I think something was happening here. You know, guys, Bible students, I'm speaking to Bible students, you know this. We see this interaction with Jesus, with people, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes it ends gloriously. Other times it doesn't. I think of the rich young ruler, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Was Jesus being rude? No. He's trying to stimulate the thinking of the man. Jesus, I knew, he would say, I know where you're coming from. You've come to me with the question, not because you really want the answer to the question. You came to me so that you might be justified in your own heart because you already think that you're righteous because you've kept the law. That's why you've come to me. So I say to you, man, take all you have, sell it, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Heavy, depressing, how rude. Not rude at all. I'm speaking to the heart of the problem because the heart of the problem is your heart. Your heart is filled with pride and you need to see that you're on the wrong path. Jesus, he didn't answer her. But then when he did answer her, he said to her, let the little children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it before the little dogs. Jesus, did you just call this woman a dog? What's going on here? Jesus, this doesn't fit into my image of you. This is really troubling, we might say. She was desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. Like what? Like pray. Like pray effectively and fervently. Like interceding. Guys, listen. What was she doing? 
You know, if, if we just simply look at it and say, well, wait a minute, Dan, she wasn't praying. Yes, she was praying. She was going to the source and saying, I have a need. Help me. It was a prayer. Well, she, her head wasn't bowed and her hands weren't. Another cultural thing. <laughs> we want to say, that's what praying looks like, you know. She was interceding. Who was she interceding for? She was interceding for her daughter. Why? Because her daughter wouldn't pray for herself. Why not? Because her daughter was so far gone. She was severely demon-possessed. Here's another bit of life application. If you have, if you're a parent and you have children, and when I say children, I I don't mean little children, because little children are so uh, pliable. Little children, you could tell them about Jesus and they just look at you with that trusting look and say, okay, mommy, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm talking about children. Maybe they're teenage children. Maybe they're adult children. Maybe they're 40-year-old children. They're still your children. I mean, you're their parent, you know. And you have children and they're not walking with the Lord. And maybe some of them are mixed up into some really bad stuff. If you're not interceding for them, do you think that they're going to be praying for themselves? The Lord holds us accountable to pray for them. Lord, please get a hold of his mind. Lord, please help her. Help her to see. Oh, Lord, illuminate the eyes of her heart so that she might be able to comprehend. Intercession. Do you know what intercession is? Intercession is making another's needs your needs. That's what intercession is. Lord, help me. That's what she said. Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy on me. What's your problem, woman? I'm severely demon-possessed. I, I, mean, I mean, my daughter's severely demon-possessed. You say, what are you talking about? Well, you wouldn't understand that unless you were a parent. Parents get it. Parents understand it. Something dynamic happens when you become a parent. If you, <laughs> if you love your children, there's nothing you would do or not do to help them. There... there, there Whatever it takes, Lord. I, I would give up anything for the sake of my child. You know, um, you ever make deals with God, parents of older children? You know, these silly deals, you know. Lord, I mean, like, like God has a bloodthirst or something, you know. Lord, you could take my life. But just make sure he survives us. He's saved. You know, it's like the Lord. We don't have to go that far. (laughs) I want your life and I want his life. You say, how do you know? Well, he doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. See, this is a prayer that we can pray with confidence, knowing that he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we will receive those things that we pray for because we're asking in accordance to his will. He doesn't want any to perish. So guys, here it is. If you have prodigal children, regardless of how old they are, if you're not interceding for them, if you're not praying fervently for them, who is? Who is? 
you guys probably do it. I do it all the time. You know, you, you drive around town here or anywhere nowadays, and you see someone, and they're on the street, and you know that they're on the street, and you could just tell by the way they carry themselves and the way they look, and you see them over and over again. And many times I, and I know that I would imagine that you do the same thing, you look at them. Maybe you're sitting at a light, and you're watching them. You're looking at this person, and you're thinking to yourself, I wonder what their story is. Do you ever do that? And then you think of things like, um, I wonder if they have a mother or father who loves you, Lord, that are praying for them. Maybe they don't know where that child is. And there they are. What was their story? How did they end up this way? How tragic, how sad, Lord. And hopefully you take it a step further and you begin to pray for them. Lord, would you deliver them? Lord, people like this, some of these people, they act as if they're demon-possessed. Our culture says, no, 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 no demon, no demons here. Turn away, nothing to see. It's a mental problem. We throw medication at mental problems. You know what's interesting? Um, well, I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> I'll tell the story. I won't give the name. But someone that Tracy and I grew up listening to, and a um, young man, he happened to go into a church. It's probably a Catholic church because most churches aren't open. You know, Catholic churches are always open, you know, to the public usually. Or they used to be, maybe not any longer. But he went into a church and he tried to commit suicide in a church. And I'm not going to say what he did, but they found him in the church. They called the ambulance. They called the police. The police arrived. And a police officer said to him, son, what are you on? And he looked up at the police officer and he said, I'm on life. I'm on life. This guy never used drugs. Never, never <laughs> gave himself to alcohol or drugs or anything. He said, I'm, I'm on life. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the Lord getting a hold of this man. And, of course, he went on uh, to be, uh, you know, a part of Calvary Chapel in a big way. And We'd see stories, we'd hear stories about people that were just, you know, just a wreck, just a mess. And then they are delivered. They come to faith in Christ. God uses them. How does that happen? I think people are praying. I was saying to the ministry people today, I was reminding them or telling them, it's not that everyone knows these stories, but... You know, back in the day, Chuck Smith, back in the late 60s, Chuck would tell the story that um, he really was kind of disgusted by the hippies. His opinion was uh, they need to cut their hair, buy a pair of shoes, and get a job, you know. And yet Kay, his wife, would just weep for the hippies. And she would always ask Chuck, Chuck, can we go down to Huntington Beach 
And they would park down in Huntington Beach, and Chuck said that the hippies would just be walking down there on the boardwalk, you know, and how Chuck said, I just kind of felt disgust for these people. I couldn't identify with them. It's not what I came from or anything. And he says, and my wife would weep for them, and she would just cry out to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, save them. Oh, Lord, how can we reach them? Isn't it ironic that the Lord used Chuck Smith and Kay Smith and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa to really be such a vital part of the Jesus movement in Southern California because of one woman's compassion. And then, of course, Chuck caught that compassion. And I think of a generation of people that would have been throwaways, you know, throwaways. And yet they went on to be delivered, saved, and serving the Lord. One of the pastors out of that time, I went to Israel with him, and he was a carpenter uh, that worked at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. They were building the sanctuary there, and so he's a carpenter, and uh, he was around all these Christians, you know, that would get up on the roof, and they would do work, and all these volunteers working and everything, and so they're sharing the gospel with him. And, and he just wants to receive the Lord, you know. He's just feeling like... And, and he had... He was demon-possessed. He didn't know he was demon-possessed until he went to receive the Lord, and then all of a sudden, man, all hell broke loose. And, uh, you know, he went on to pastor a church in upstate New York, and uh, it just, you know, thrived. And, and uh, it's amazing the people that God has used and desires to use. Well, I guess enough of storytelling let the little children be filled first. Was Jesus being rude? Are you getting tired of me asking that question? You know, I'm getting tired of <laughs> asking the question because it really feels disrespectful when I even say it. But this is what we're thinking as we're reading this. We're thinking either he was being rude or something else was going on. And I think that something else was going on. I think it's worth noting that at that time, the Jews would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. Um, I, you know, the racism, the hatred at that time between the Jews and the non-Jews. And it went both ways, you know. Of course, we live in a world today where anti-Semitism is on a rise. I was... uh, Tracy and I were over watching some of our grandkiddos the other night as mom and dad were practicing for the concert. And we were watching um, Little House on the Prairie. And oh boy, that took me back. I always watch Little House on the Prairie. Even when I was a long-haired hippie guy, I watched Little House, you know. And Little House, it always had biblical, you know, principles. And it always had, you know, there was always a, like a, a theme. It was so good. You got to get a copy of Little House on the Prairie, you know. But anyway, as we're watching it, one episode was dealing with racism between white people and black people. And they used a word that would completely, what is the term called? Cancel 
Little House on the Prairie, because they use that word. The next episode, not directly next, but down a few, dealt with the issue of the hatred of Jews. And they called the little adopted guy, Adam, or what's his name? Albert? Albert? Cute little kid. He looks like Wilder. It didn't look like him, but his smiles. Remind me, we kept saying, this is Wilder. Look at his smile. He's got the Wilder smile, you know. But they're calling this little guy Jew boy because he's working with it. You can't even use that speech any longer. But here's the thing, guys. See, that's the woke world that we live in. But when you see it used in its context, it was always used to say that these things are wrong. It was teaching principles that were good. But there was this animosity, and, and, and Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs. And so you go back to, was Jesus calling her a dog? No. And yes. Jesus softens the word to make it mean little dogs or doggies or puppies. And I think that this was a playful way of reminding her of her place as a Gentile. Now see, now don't get all up in, because here's the, I look at you guys, are so like, <laughs> no one's getting up in anything, but, but anyway, <laughs> I'm pretending. Calm down, guys, calm down. No. But, um, but, you know, that's another thing. We say, yeah, what's this thing, you know? And, and why, and this, and that, and everyone should be equal. Come on. You live in the same world I live in. There's animosity, there's hatred, there's prejudice. There, there's this type of thing. It's not to the extreme that we hear it is all the time. But the fact of the matter is, is that from the Jewish perspective, she was lower. The prophets weren't given to the Gentiles. The law wasn't given to the Gentiles. The promises weren't given to the Gentiles. These things came to the Jews. And her response was so wonderful. It expressed her great faith. First of all, she admits to her low estate. She says, yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. I know, little children, I'm not a little child. I'm not one of I understand. Yes, Lord. She doesn't debate the reference to little dog. Who are you calling the dog? He doesn't even go there. She doesn't debate it. She asked Jesus to deal with her on her low level. You say, where do you see that? Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs. See, who are you identifying with? The little dogs? Even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. All I want is the crumbs. Man, what a great attitude. What a great attitude. I think of I think of how people are so easily offended. I'm not coming back there. I'm done with you. I'm out of here. So listen to the pastor Chuck. I've been enjoying the series of on the uh, the Holy Spirit it's been so rich I've I listened to him back in 1981 I'm listening to him now in 19 or 19 2022 and I'll tell you they are so rich and they are so good and I feel like I'm hearing them for the very first time they're so good but on, on the last one I listened to he was talking about 
you know, trouble in the church. And, and the reason there's trouble in the church is because people aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. And people want their own way. And people are easily offended. And he says, you know what? It's hard when people are offended and they leave. He says, a place like this, and he was talking about the church he pastored, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. He said, you could have a couple hundred people leave and no one will notice. <laughs> he says, but in a little church, you have 10 people leave and it's a huge deal. And we watch it happen all the time. I'm offended. I'm out of here. They come in as, as a group and they leave as a group. And you just kind of go, wow. Wow. Nothing good here? Nothing redeemable here? You can't worship the Lord here? The word of God's not being taught here? I'm offended. I love this about this woman because she doesn't get offended. Jesus was not being rude to her. He was not trying to insult her. He was not trying to get her to just go away. In fact, she was not going to go away. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the Lord, or says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. You look at this. I, I love that Isaiah, God says, this is who I am. I'm way up here. I'm above everybody I am holy. And then he says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And then he says, and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite. And that's what she was. But I have nowhere else to go. My daughter, she's severely possessed she's she's demon possessed severely and 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 lord i need your help i need your help this isaiah text god is he inhabits eternity there's nothing unknown to him and when it's this back and forth back and forth why do you have to be so rude lord i'm not being rude it's not i'm put off i'm walking away in fact doggone it if you are so easily offended by things like that, do you have the Spirit of God? You say, you can't make that judgment. I'm just asking a question. I'm not making a state. I, I, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just asking a question. Because to me, it's like, where else could we go, Lord? I mean, not that you can't leave a church, but, but it's like when people get offended and they I'm not going to walk with the Lord anymore. Well, where are you going to go? What options are there? Zero. You know, there are times when I, I think, you know, just those thoughts. I live a lot in my head, you know. You guys probably do too. Not in my head, but in <laughs> your heads. But, but, but I, I think sometimes, what if? You know, people are always trying to degrade, degrade uh, Christianity. It's interesting how, you know, every, you know, the, the Jesus is a cuss word and everything. Uh, the other gods, these other images, they're never used as a cuss word. It's the devil, you know. Anyway, but I think, what if it was all made up? What if? What if? What if you just live your life and you die and you are no more? What if? And you know what? I come to the same conclusion. I haven't missed anything. The life that I've lived, believing in Christ, has 
has blessed me so much. I, I, I mean, the, the motivation and the hope and, and the courage and all of the, of course, I believe all of this to be true. But even if it wasn't true, what have I missed out on? Well, if I didn't believe in Jesus, I guess I could have been a drug addict. <laughs> I really would have lived it up. Really? No. Could have cheated on my wife. If I, didn't, if I didn't think that there was a problem with that, you know, because of, no. Could have abandoned my children. No. 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 I'm out of time. Surprise, surprise. Well, she drops the Jewish terminology, you know, O Lord, Son of David, and she simply says, Lord, help me. And I'll tell you, she doesn't just do that. It says, and she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Uh, listen to the word worship. You guys come up, worship team, because listen to the, the, the definition of this word worship, this Greek word. It means to kiss, and I don't know that she literally kissed Jesus, but this is what it means. It means to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand. Well, isn't that interesting? So you say, did she lick his hand like a dog? No, I don't think. Why would she do that? That's just weird. Why would she do that? The word goes on to say, to fawn or crouch, to show reverence, to adore. Listen, it's not traditions, as we saw last week. It's not terminology, as we saw this week. It's worshiping him. I've been persistent when I am desperate, but the Lord wants me and he wants you and he wants us to be persistent when we're not desperate. This woman, this desperate mother, this Gentile, she wasn't put off by Jesus' words. She was egged on by Jesus' words and this showed great faith. You know, her great faith was not only heard by the words that she said. What words did she say? Do you remember? You know, yes, but even the, even the crumbs that fall, it was what she did. Because Jesus said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And she did. She did what? She went away. It's interesting how the disciples wanted her to go away, but she wasn't going to go away until she got away because she's persistent, so she stayed. But then when the Lord said, go your way, your request is granted, I'm answering your prayer, she went away, believing. And when she got home, she wasn't desperate and she wasn't disappointed any longer. If you have children that aren't walking with the Lord, you need to fervently intercede for them. You need to ask others to pray with you. Sometimes I think we want others to pray more fervently than we ourselves are willing to pray. If you're in fervent prayer for your, uh, you know, lost lamb, other people will catch that vision. I, I promise you that. We'll enter in to prayer with you. But if it's only, you know, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him, but you're never praying fervently for him, 
You say, well, how do you know what I'm doing? I don't know what you're doing, but I know this, that desperate people do desperate things. And I know this, over the years of pastoring this church, 33, almost 34 years that I've watched people in desperate times do desperate things, coming and pleading, would you please rescue, would you please save, would you please pray with me? And we've had many prayer meetings where people have wept and they've cried out. And I'll tell you, it's not like, because I don't think we're easily moved by, you know, just things. But I'll tell you, it's interesting how we'll watch other people enter into this compassion and they begin to weep and they begin to cry for the person that we're praying for. And there's this earnest desire, there's this humility. Lord, we have no place else to turn. So we cry out to you, we ask that you would, and the Lord does it. And when he does it, it gives us hope. Now, some people, when the Lord answers their prayer, they go away. We don't see him any longer. But others, you know, they say, where else can I go, man? I'm staying here. And they're the first ones to come alongside someone and to encourage them and say, listen, I know what you're feeling, or maybe I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know the specifics, but I know this. I know what it is to be a parent. I know what it is to be a wife. I know what it is to be a husband. I know what it is to be someone who believes in Jesus, and yet my loved one has gone astray. They're, they're addicted to this, that, or the other. They are, they are snared. They are, they, are, they are in bondage. And would you pray with me? And I'll tell you, people that have gone through it and that have come out the other side, they have more compassion than the average person. They have more fervence of, 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 what's the word, passion or zeal. They have more zeal in their prayers for, for those that have gone astray because they know what the Lord can do and does do. And they want to see your prayers answered, so... Would you stand with me? Father, we pray that it wouldn't take the bottom bottom falling out of our world, you know. We're so desperate. We have absolutely no hope, no place to turn. Lord, if that's what it takes, so be it. Bring it on, Lord, as long as we get to that place of simplicity and sincerity and humility. And in faith, we say... Lord, help me. Help me. My son's not walking with you. Help me. My daughter's gone astray. Help me. My wife is lost. Help me. My husband needs you, Jesus. Help me. We pray that we'd intercede for others, that we'd take their needs and make them our needs and bring them before your throne. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.